0: Welcome to the King's Church Ambition Podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Um, when Neil spoke three weeks ago, he started off a series for us where we're looking at the early church. And we're looking at each of the churches, so he talked about Philippi, Paul talked about the church in Galatia, and last week Julian talked about the church in Macedonia. And each week we're drawing out something to learn from each of the churches as we look at them. This morning it's my privilege to talk about the church in Jerusalem. And to do that, I thought it's really helpful actually just to have some photos because the most amazing thing about the city of Jerusalem is that you can walk today in the very steps that Jesus probably took on the Via Dolorosa to when he was carrying the cross to Golgotha. You can, we think, pinpoint the upper room where the disciples were, when Jesus not only appeared to them, but when the gift of the Holy Spirit was given. And there's an amazing sense, therefore, of an inheritance and a heritage that this city holds for us. Jerusalem, the city of peace. And yet we know so much is contested in the physical place of Jerusalem, just as in the spiritual realm. So this morning, I just want to introduce you to the fact that the disciples, right, walked and talked with Jesus, and he and his disciples would have entered a gate similar to that when he rode in on the donkey, and yet a week later, in the bottom corner, and I've only got a representation of that because we're not sure where exactly that happened, he was crucified. This is the physical reality of the disciples walking with Jesus in this city at that time, 2,000 years ago, through that gate, and yet he's crucified. And so they take shelter in an upper room because they are afraid and they don't know what to do. And they've walked these streets. So that's that's the old city. If you've ever been, all right, or, you have not, or you've not been, that's exactly what it's like. You walk through the streets just like this. And that middle picture up at the top is where we think the resurrection might have taken place, where Jesus' body might have been placed. It's not necessarily accurate, but there's a sense of a great deal of peace in that place. And there was a bit of stone rolled in front of that, the hole in the, in the cave, and then that was rolled away. There's a physicality about looking at these pictures and thinking, that's where Jesus walked, that's where he was crucified, that's where he died, and yet that's where he rose again. So I want to just introduce you to the fact that the disciples became the early church. Because they, who had walked and talked with Jesus for three whole years They'd walked all over Galilee, they'd seen his miracles, they'd been with him. They've seen him die, and they have seen him rise again. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How does this small community of believers, 12 in number originally, and then more because we know that Mary and Mary, uh, Mary uh, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene and others were gathered there. So it's not just the 11, because obviously Judas had betrayed Jesus. But we know from this group of people, there are now 2.4 billion people in the world who profess belief in Jesus Christ. there were 11 of them right that doesn't happen through man's design okay and the reason i want to talk to you about the church in jerusalem and these community of believers is because they understood something about the kingdom of god so let's put this in context right so this is jerusalem I want to read to you Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. If you've got your Bibles, have them out, right, and read. There is nothing like reading the Word of God for it to feed your very spirit, right? If you've got your Bibles, get them out. If you want a Bible, there are some at the back. If you have it on your phone, look it up. Read with me this morning, right? Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the disciples' feet. Okay, so. We've got the picture of the believers in Jerusalem. There's an original small band. I put a picture down at the bottom there of an Orthodox Jew, current, present day. And what we, we, he, he might be a Roman Catholic priest. He might be an Orthodox priest. He might be um, uh, a member of, a, of an organization living in Jerusalem. He might be a visitor. I don't know. I don't know who these people are. But I put that photograph there because I want you to understand that these believers had to make sense of the teaching of Jesus. They had to make sense of it. They had Jewish roots. They prayed in the temple. They went to the temple. They continued to do that. And yet, at some point in time, that stopped. And the understanding and the teaching that Christ gave caused these people... Not to become people of the way as they were known, but named Christian, those who follow Christ. So what is this when it says you are followers of Christ? This morning, we have declared that in the worship. What does it mean to say we are followers of Christ? All right, let's put this in context. So, all right. go to Acts chapter 1. Right. I I just I've got I'm just I think this this verse is just amazing. Right? Just read this with me. So this is the beginning of Acts. This is Luke talking to the people he's writing to. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Sorry. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to look specifically at that verse where it says... He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Imagine, all right, you're these people who have been tucked away in the upper room because you are petrified that somebody is going to find you and kill you for saying that you believe in Jesus and you follow him. Even though he has appeared to them, they're still not sure what this actually means. So what did Jesus do? As a resurrected Christ, he sat amongst them and explained to them. And he said to them, this is what it means to accept me as Lord and Savior. And they go, so when you, when you performed that miracle, he's going, yes, that was me being Lord. So when you said that parable, yes, that was me explaining forgiveness to you. When you, when you healed that woman, yes, that was me showing you I have power. When you told that story about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed, yes, it will grow beyond your wildest imagining. They sat for 40 days with Jesus and he explained things to them. When you read, and I really encourage you to do so, okay, this week. When you read the parables of Jesus after his resurrection... So with our lens that we now understand he died and he rose again and he's living in heaven and all glorious, they make much more sense. Of course they didn't understand at the time. And yet he was teaching this word, which would stand for eternity. When you read scripture, you are reading the word of God, which is relevant just As it was then, so it is now. That is why we call it declaring the word of God. When we speak out the truth, we are saying this is reality. This is the kingdom of God. So he explained it to them. Now, hey, wouldn't that be great to have Jesus right here and go, right, okay. So when you talk about the merciful servant, what are you talking about? Or the unmerciful servant even, right? What are you talking about? That is exactly who we have in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when we ask for clarity, when we ask for wisdom, he will take us to scripture and he will unpack it for us. That is who the Holy Spirit is. He empowers us to understand. Yes, you have to work a bit. Yes, you have to go, oh, everybody keeps talking about the Greek. I can't read Greek, right? I can't even read Aramaic right? That is why it is translated. So read it. People, I charge you, read the parables this week and go, imagine sitting with Jesus and him expanding those and you're going, this is it. I get 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 it. Right. I've got to go live it now. Oh no. I've got to remind myself. Oh, oh, I've got to, you have to remind yourself. Right? You have to read. Yes, you have to read. Yes, you have to read the scripture. Right, You sit at the feet of the scripture and it is explained to you because you read and the Holy Spirit goes, there you go. Ah, there you go. That's what I want you to understand today. Now put it in practice. So, you have to read. Okay? You have to. <laughs> Right, and I would charge you again if you don't. If you read the parables, then go on and read James and Peter and John, the the letters, one one two three John and Peter one two Peter and James. When you read them, imagining Jesus having spoken to them and then them writing this, it's just it's just like put a whole completely different picture on it because they're going. We've learned. We want you to understand. Don't lose this. Okay, so that's the context. The disciples are sitting in an upper room going, ooh, what do we do? Jesus goes, right, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to remind you. It wasn't good enough they had three years with him. All right. He has to carry on with them. All right. So what does he talk? What does he tell them? What does he teach them that we hold right now, here in Amersham, present day, right, 6th of October 2019. That stays the same today as it was then when he taught them. I've got two pictures up there. Okay? One is Genesis chapter one. It's a representation of it. Okay? In the beginning, God created out of nothing. God created. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let There be light, and there was light. The beginning of John chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of man. Those two pictures... One to represent the fact that God speaks and creates out of nothing. And the second is of Christ. It's um, it's taken from the ceiling in um, an Orthodox church. And it's called Christ Pantocrator. Pantocrator means the Almighty. It's representative of Jesus in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, saying, I am Lord. Each of these statements is true. It is reality. Because God says, I am. I am. I am. And trust me, I will never forsake you. The kingdom of God that Jesus explained and expounded and helped the disciples understand says, God reigns here and now. He always has done. He always will do. The kingdom of God is not a physical place as such. This is the mystery of it. Okay, we use the united kingdom, which is under question at the moment, right? (laughs) Heavily, right? So we use the United Kingdom. Wales, Scotland, England, and supposedly Northern Ireland. Woo. Okay, so that is a physical place. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Another contested one, all right? Okay, it's about the geographic boundary that identifies this nation. The Kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. And that is within us. So we are the kingdom of God. And we therefore are light to those around us. God calls light to come into being. And he says, Jesus is the light of men. We are that light. Because we are witnesses to this truth. So, the church in Jerusalem goes, oh, this is a bit too big for our heads, right? This truth, this kingdom of God, is really trying to wrestle with it and make sense of it and understand it. And what they do, right, Acts chapter two, is they sit together, right? They sit together. It says, Acts chapter two, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. The believers were together at everything in common, selling their possessions they gave to everyone as they had need. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. So the first community of believers, first and foremost, are devoted to the teaching of the apostles. So they, they talked. They had the scriptures out. And they talked about them. Which scriptures did they have out? They had the stories of Moses and the law and of David and of Isaiah and the prophecies. And they looked at those scriptures and they saw that they were fulfilled in Christ. And so they went, it's true. What this word says is true. And they talked about the stories that Jesus told. And they reminded themselves of the stories that Jesus told in the parables and of his miracles and what he did and what he taught. And they talked together about that. And they pulled it apart and they put it back together again. They were devoted to teaching because they had to make sense of who am I saying I'm witness to. I witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of the crucifixion and resurrection, As a result of being brought into that newness of life, they went, You love everybody. Not one person who came to you did you turn away. We love one another. Because we are devoted first to Jesus, so we love one another. They had differences. Of course, they had differences. They came together and they recognized that working together brought blessing because Jesus says to them, if you you have love one for another, then the world will see that you are my disciples. It's an example. And it was practical because they worshiped, they declared God's glory, they sang the Psalms which declare God's glory They would have prayed the prayers that they knew and they would have then said, Thank you, Lord, for bringing this truth and fulfilling it and helping us understand that we are saved. That is the glory of what they're doing when they are celebrating the Last Supper together. They broke bread in each other's houses. They met together and broke bread together. They worshiped together and they prayed together. And ultimately, what does this lead to? Leads to the final example of what it means to be generous. We sang that final song. What I have isn't mine. It's been given to me. What Julian talked about last week. We have been given everything in Christ. Therefore, share. Share. You've been given so you can give. You've been given to so you can give. Can I say it again? You have been given life so that you can give that away. So what does that mean for us? We're a learning church. We sit at the feet of the word of God. Uh, Ron Lamb's taking a small group on Galatians. Um, Mary and I a couple of years ago had the privilege of leading a small group and we did the book of John. Oh, it was amazing. It took us over a, a year and a half. Because you feed on the word of God. When you come together in your small groups and you look at the parables, say, this week, look at them, read them, feed on the word of God. We have um, an eldership who sit under the authority of scripture. And when they come together, they discuss issues which are doctrinal. Um, a couple of years ago, we had the issue of women in ministry. And there, there is difference of opinion within this church on that. But there is not division. It's very interesting. Because if you seek Christ, and you seek his peace, then the conversation about God's word does not mean that practice divides you. And it is very practical because you could look at the church and go, it is completely fragmented with all the different denominations. And yet we hold this to be central. So we are beholden. It is upon us to seek unity with people who we differ with. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that because he holds the church in truth. So we sit at the feet of this word and we talk about it and we work it out in practice. We are devoted to one another. We show that exemplification on a day-to-day basis. The small things that we do for one another build the kingdom of God here. Everything from looking out from one another, having that conversation with the person that we don't know or recognize in our church, let alone the work that is sacrificially done to bless our community. Last week, um, it was um, Robin's wedding. And um, I, Ava and I, my daughter who's 11, had we had the privilege of, of helping to serve. And I was amazed because... Um, Ian, when he's in the kitchen, so Ian was in charge of the food. And he asked me to do something, and I was thinking, I can't do it like that. That's really beautiful the way you've done it, because like he's a trained chef. And he showed me how to do it, and he said, get on with it. And he trusted me, and I was like, oh, get on this. And um, it was a really interesting moment to be taught something, and then expected to put it into practice immediately, and trusted And I was like, that's what Jesus is like. He goes, I've saved you. Now love one another. (laughs) Okay? And we do that through a very, very important ritual of having communion. When we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus being the representation of his death on the cross and his rising to new life, we celebrate the truth that Jesus is Lord and he has restored and he has reconciled and he has brought us back to relationship with God. Every single time we do that. There are 2.4 billion people in the world who are Christian Whenever the Last Supper is celebrated, or communion, or the Eucharist, whichever word you want to use for it, it is declaring to the powers and principalities that Jesus is Lord, that God is good, and that we are free. Every single time we do that. And that is why prayer is so important too. Because we declare To the powers and principalities, Jesus is Lord, God is good, and we are free. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been given newness of life. So, when we look at this passage in Acts chapter 4 and we come back to it, we've got the context of the need to understand what the kingdom of God is. So we need to understand what we believe. We understand that Christ has died on the cross and rose again and is all-loving. There is no one who is exempt from the glory of this relationship with God. No one. All are saved through Christ's death and resurrection. For the Jews in Jerusalem, understanding that was going to be one of the biggest hurdles they had faced. Because up until that point in time, Israel was the chosen people of God, given to be the example of who God was on earth. And Jesus breaks that wide open and just says, All are welcome. And they're going Thought it was ours, and Jesus came. My generosity knows no bounds. It doesn't recognize race, it doesn't recognize color, it doesn't recognize background, it doesn't need to be aware of gender. My gospel says all are welcome into the kingdom of God. And the release and the freedom of that was something that the, the, the Jewish Christians. Had to make sense of. To the extent that Peter goes. I've had a revelation. I understand that. But I don't know what it looks like in practice. Because that means I've got to go to the Gentiles. And I don't want to go to the Gentiles. Because that that breaks every law in my body. That I have understood that I'm supposed to do. And God's going, yes I know. Go. He's going, but I don't want to go there. Because if I do that. That makes me. Oh, oh, that makes me obedient to you. But I don't want to do that. When Peter says, in his book, "Obey the Lord," he's serious. He's not joking. He's actually practically going, "You have to obey what this word says, because it brings life." And he's going, really, "I'm really struggling." When you're struggling with something that God has told you to do talk to each other, pray with each other and obey what God has talked to you about in his word. Because it is about obedience to the word of God because through that we understand what we're supposed to do on a daily basis. So live out the sacrificial nature of the kingdom of God. Declare Jesus is Lord and I want to commend you. I want to end, right, by commending you as a congregation, commending us. Because um, Paul starts his letters that way. Uh, So does Peter. So does John. They commend the believers for standing in faith. You have held on in times of desperate need. And you've declared Jesus as Lord in difficult situations. On a daily basis, you ask, Lord, what should I do? you're kind to that person, you're generous to another, you read the word and you try and you say, Lord, help me put this into practice. I'm commending us for our witness now here for what you do in all these areas, getting up every morning and going to work and being um, an honorable person of integrity within the workplace praying for that person when you see that they could they have need just sending up lord bless them right whether it's that or whether it's consistent prayer there is somebody in this room who prayed for a person another person in this room and they prayed for years and then they asked them to go on an alpha and that resulted in them going on an alpha accepting the lord and and now being a christian there's a person in this room who's done that. I know who that person is. You, it might be you, and I don't know it's you. I, I'm thinking of somebody else. You are consistently holding the word of God to be true against all the odds. <laughs> right? Against all the tempestuous stuff that happens out there. We say, declare Jesus as Lord in your family. Use conversation wisely. Seek to bless in your words. We've already had that taught to us over the summer. Seek to bless others with your language. In your workplace, be a person of integrity. Pray for those around you. In your ministry, be honest with God about where you feel he's, he's challenging you. Talk to other people and be encouraged. In your calendar planning, ask God, where should I be serving? Should I be volunteering? It's mad. Who volunteers? Right? You're giving up your own time to help somebody else. That's what generosity looks like in practice. Help with the minis. Help with the tots. Sign up for a hamper. There are ways that are practically worked out in the church to serve. And it's not about being seen. It's about knowing that God has said, get on with it. Right? Transforming lives for good is about to start. It's where we're working with primary schools and we're working with kids who are about to be perhaps expelled or on the edge of understanding boundaries. Let's pray for that ministry. We often say, let's pray for the community projects in the church. I'm praying for us as a congregation that those of us who go out into the world, oh, that's all of us, would actually fulfill what God has called us to do be generous be sacrificial, be my witnesses. In your small group, read the word, put it into practice. In our church, come, be present, fellowship with one another, whether whatever hobby you have, whether in your home, declare again that God is good, that he reigns, that Jesus is Lord, that the Holy Spirit empowers, and then seek his face. Spend time asking what, what now, what next, what, what happens, right? What I want you to do now, okay, is I want you to look at one of the things on that list. It jumps out at you. And I want you to, to choose one thing that you're going to either declare. So it might be just saying, "Your Lord Jesus in this situation or in this context. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, okay? And I want you to pray with that person, for blessing in that area, right? We're just going to do that now, right? So you're going to turn to the person next to you and you're going to say, I'm going to ask for either freedom or lordship or dependence or the word of God to come into that situation. Tracy, you better go and move next to Janet, right? Come on, off you go, off you go. Yep, you're going to have to talk talk to each other. You're going to have to move closer, all right? Talk to the person next to you and I'm going to give you a minute to pray, all right? Okay, and then we're going to end with the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Okay, right, you need to be praying now. You need to actually be praying now. Don't explain any anymore. pray. Okay, I'm going to close with prayer. You can carry on praying if you want. Don't worry about me. All right, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. For yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Yours is the authority, Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Somebody uh, needs to pray for Anne Marie now, doesn't they? Don't they? Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.